Welcome back, besties. I have Casey over here, and we have just recorded a podcast with Nate Johnson. It was a very interesting conversation, and we just wanted to do a little bit of follow-up. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) For real? Uh, Yeah, it was, you know, I was sitting there listening to him talk, and all I wanted to say, because I knew you were probably thinking, has he read your book? Was he one of the advanced readers? But he was not. And I had forgotten how many conversations Nate and I had had during the writing process, which you pointed that out. Yeah, it, I feel like those conversations were meant to happen, especially knowing Nate and knowing your book and your journey. I don't think that there could have been a better dynamic duo. Hi, I'm Casey, and right here beside me is Kelsey. We are licensed professional counselors, mothers, entrepreneurs, oh, and besties. We know firsthand what it's like to wake up one day and think, how in the heck did I wind up here? Through our own journeys of self-discovery, we found that joy is something that has to be pursued through our own internal work. Now we are on a mission to help women from all walks of life understand themselves more so they can experience real lasting joy. Join us every Thursday to hear interviews with experts who can point you towards self-discovery and inner joy. You know, I'm just not a big social person. I can do it and I do do it in, in my work and in my job. But when I got a message from Nate several years ago now, I guess it's it was like three or four years ago originally. And he was just like, hey, I'm going to be in town. Do you want to get coffee? I hadn't seen or spoken to this man in like 20 years or more. And so the thought of going and sitting down and having coffee with someone like that is that does not sound exciting to me. I'm the opposite. I feel like that sounds like a really good time. No, like that's torture, you know, like so Nate and I were were friends in high school if you listen to the podcast, you will know the story, but we just kind of went our two different ways as adults. And then it was just really cool to sit down with someone that it, it wasn't a superficial conversation. It was very genuine and very authentic. And and I just have never really had many experiences like that, especially with men. So when I got to sit down and catch up with him, it was actually really refreshing. And it was so funny that we had not seen each other or spoken to each other in that many years, but yet we had been on very similar parallel journeys and coming back together and talking about that was really nice. Was there something in previous conversations that kind of gave you, you said that he shows up in your book, but I mean, I know must have been summer of 2021. Mm -hmm. Were there any conversations that you and Nate had that really sparked ideas for you or made you like question and look internally? Um, yeah, I mean, he was, we met up several times during a period of time. And one of those we had dinner, I guess it wasn't even dinner. It was just like appetizer dinner or whatever at Chard Oak. Yeah. You know, we were just, he was, he was telling me a little bit about how he got back into music and how that used to be something that he really loved and like grounded him and centered him and gave him this, a different feeling. And over the years he had 
moved away from that and really focused more on productivity, like getting stuff done, building businesses, making money, that kind of stuff. And it just reminded me a lot of who I used to be, him talking about music and art. That used to be me too. And I was just thinking like, I can't even remember the last time I picked up some charcoals or a paintbrush. And I love that stuff. Like that was the stuff growing up. I I did that every day. I mean, it just, it's who I am. It's part of who I am. And I think I just used a lot of that creativeness just in other ways, in ways that I could make money and create businesses and things like that. But there's something about, do you remember? (laughs) Oh, God. Do you remember when I decided that I wanted to be um, a succulent farmer? Yeah, I do. (laughs) Okay. So we had just moved into our house that we're living in now, and I decided I wanted to grow succulents. And like I bought all these books on propagation and, you know, all this stuff. I thought she was a little off a rocker, but it's fine. (laughs) Well, turns out I suck at growing succulents. I I actually don't even think it's me. I think it's just the environment. We don't have a lot of natural light in this house. So, you know, there's, I think it's not just me, but there was something, there is something about getting my hands in dirt and like just in that kind of way that is very soothing and feels familiar and feels like home to me. Why is that? Well, I think you already know why. Yeah. Go ahead. Tell me. me Well, because most of your childhood, like the place that you felt the most safe was your grandparents and they had this big garden and that was how you spent quality time with your grandparents. Right. Yeah. And that's important to me. And so I thought as I was like having dinner with Nate and like having drinks and, you know, just thinking about things, I was just like, how often am I doing the things That once made me feel joy. Painting, drawing. I think even too with music, that's been a big thing in the beginning of our relationship because you would listen to it in your AirPods while you would write, but never in the car or whatever. And now I can put a song on and you're like singing along. And 90s country, baby. Yeah, 90s country. Um, Hey, it's Carol. (laughs) Go ahead, sing for everyone. Quarter. Quarter. But yeah, I. Like those little joys that I think when we're focused on success, we let those go to the back burner, but we realize that those small things that lead us to joy, we don't live a very happy life if they're on the back burner. Well, one of the things that Nate said in the podcast was, you know, really about how he was always so, he was living in the future. And for 10 years of my life, that was me. I was living in the future. And I think part of it was trying to escape a reality that was not serving me. I don't necessarily mean like the relationship I was in it wasn't serving me. I mean, it, it wasn't. But I think it was more about myself. Like I wasn't, I wasn't emotionally intelligent. I wasn't emotionally in tune. I wasn't looking internally whatsoever. I was really focused on the future. And I don't even mean like five, 10 years future. I mean, like even sometimes as little as tomorrow, always focused on the future. Well, Nate said something I think that was really valuable. And he was alluding to the fact that cultural success is not actually success. Mm -hmm. I think success really has to, like, you have to look deep internally to understand what success is for you. Because by the time you get to the end of the mountain or the end of the finish line, that is when you're going to see that you're not satisfied. 
Right. And so that that was one thing that he and I had in common was not that either one of us were like billionaires or anything or achieved something that was like so insurmountable that it was worth a a parade. But we did achieve success in our own right. And when we did, when we got what we were working for, when we had the house we wanted, when we had the the dreams that we had dreamed of, when we when we had all the things and we didn't have anything to work for tangibly anymore, no shiny object, we were really forced to look around and say, oh, this is it. It's almost like you're chasing that high. Well, and I think there's something to be said because this happens in multiple capacities. Like when Nate was talking, I was thinking about like the traditional life that people lead, like they check off boxes, right? Mm-hmm. I'm going to find somebody. I'm going to get married. Uh, we're going to buy a house, check. We're going to have a kid, check. We're going to have another kid, check. Um, And then after all that dust settles and, you know, the kids are about three or four, and let's say maybe they're a stay-at-home mom, they're like, well, what's my purpose now? Mm-hmm. And I, f- I feel like a lot of my clients feel that mm-hmm. way as well as like just society in general. And so it can happen on multiple scales and it's probably happening to you in a way that you don't even notice. I think it happens to everyone. Because culturally, we are told that these things equal success. These things equal happiness. It's what you should do. Yeah. The American dream, right? Mm-hmm. This is what you should do. Well, and... And for me, for my entire life growing up, I just, I think I imagined this, even talking about this, (laughs) I don't think I've ever said these things out loud, but I'm just going to say them. And it's embarrassing. I mean, I'm not going to lie. Like, I'm really embarrassed about what I'm getting ready to say. And I feel really dumb. But I know that other people have to feel this way, even if they're too embarrassed to say it out loud. And I guess they don't even really need to say it out loud. They just need to admit it to themselves. But like growing up and watching, I remember even just being little at church. And I remember seeing like this dad with his little button up polo thingy and like his nice khaki pants and his little belt and his shoes. And this mom that had this long, pretty hair and this little baby with the dress and the frillies and the big bow. And, you know, like you could tell that it took them time and effort to get that kid ready and to get that kid looking cute and like all these things. And I just remember seeing that as a little girl thinking like, oh, that's what I need to have. And then as I got older, I before I married uh, my first husband, same kind of thing. Like we would go to church on Sunday and I would sit there in the pew and watch, you know, the family a couple rows ahead of me. And the husband would just have his arm around the wife's back and like they would all be so dressed up and the kids just look so perfectly groomed. And then I remember seeing pictures online of all these happy families. And I just, I was jealous. Like I really wanted that image. Like I really thought that, I thought these people were so happy and I don't know, I guess in my head, I just imagined what their lives must look like. And I I keep referencing church because that's where you see the best shows put on. Yeah, well, I was going to say it's almost, and not that everyone does this, but I think the image is almost a facade, just like on Facebook when people are posting, oh, like, you know, we're all guilty of it. That's like how we've grown up. 
mm-hmm. is social media. Like, what what have your wins been, basically? But behind that facade, the picture, the watching them at church, there's more there. That's just surface. Yeah, I know. I know that now. And I just remember, like, comparing myself to these wives who were just so good. Like, you know, I mean, they appeared to be so they would just smile at their husbands and just the way they spoke and never raise their voice to their children. And it was always, you know, just like, can I ask you something real quick? Yeah. How did that make you feel as a kid or maybe as a young adult watching that happen, but internally knowing that your family might not look exactly like that perfect image? Do you mean my family in that moment or my my family that I wanted to have one day? Both. I want to kind of know what your inner child was saying, but also like futuristic self. Well, my inner child was, I knew that I was never going to have that. I knew that, that, that was, that, that I was different. I already knew when I was little that, that I was different and I had friends that had that type of family and I would, you know, be, be involved with them and, I don't know. So you were different. It my family was different. I was different. How'd that make you feel? <laughs> different. <laughs> That's a good kind of sad. Like kind of like almost like a grieving feeling. Grieving something I'd never even had. Right. But also grieving maybe it was even grieving the fact that I knew I never would. Mm. But I wanted to. Like yeah. I wanted it. You know, even like when I got married, my first husband, it was frustrating for me because, I mean, I loved this person, but not in the same way that, let's say, I love you. It was just a different, and I was 19. I don't fucking know. (laughs) You love everything. But just like, this is the embarrassing part for me. Like, us together, we did not look like what I had imagined. You know, it wasn't like... We took on that role of, oh, this perfect, we didn't match like I thought. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And then I felt terrible about that because it wasn't his fault and it was really, it was really just me. Like nobody, I don't know that anyone else really cared or even thought about that. It was just, it was because I wasn't satisfied. I don't think I even knew who I was enough to know. Like now I think... It wouldn't matter, obviously, who I was with, what that person looked like. If I had those genuine feelings for them and that love, that unconditional love that I think you should have with your partner, I would not think anything of that because I know who I am now. Yeah. Back then, I kept looking for someone that would like complete that image for me. Well, and I think... I'm just thinking of like childhood and what kind of messages that picks up like you were picking up as a kid by like internalizing like, oh, they look like the happy family. They look like, you know, they have it all together. And it's almost like searching for that cultural validation, but also internal validation that you have absorbed throughout your childhood, you know? Mm -hmm. It wasn't until I became a therapist probably a few years into being a therapist when I started seeing clients in my own private practice. And it's, I mean, it's a small town, like things come full circle. 
And so some of my clients were people that I had once looked at and was like, oh, wow, like that's that's the kind of family that I want or that I need and realized these people were no different than anybody else. Everyone's like, human. They had secret lives. They had addiction. They had, you know, they had issues in their relationships. Their children had issues. It started to normalize things for me and it kind of started to break apart that image that I thought that I needed in order to feel successful, like a successful family, like yeah. what that looked like. I have lots of thoughts about, I don't know. I'm still hung up on the inner child part. Okay, let's talk about it. I'm really hung up on it because I feel like, yeah, it is sadness, but it's almost like you see those people and maybe not cognitively or consciously you're thinking, oh yeah, that means I'm bad, right? But I think it's an, a message that it's sending you like what my life has been up to this point or what my family's life doesn't meet the norm. Well, can I even take that one step back, maybe? And this is just being pure honest. I'll, I'm sure I'll regret this later. But one of the messages that I carried as a child into my adult life in terms of relationships, I really didn't believe that I could get someone like that. You know, going, talking about church again, like this tall, manly, put together, works hard, provides for the family. Why didn't you feel like you could get that? Well, I think there was a lot of reasons for it. I didn't think that I was pretty enough. Mm, there it is. The shame. I didn't think that anyone like that would want someone that had a family dynamic like mine. You know, in the South, not even Kentucky South, but like South or South, the home and the, that family unit is important in relationships. And a guy is not going to want to be with a woman that, you know, has a dysfunctional family of origin because they're looking to, I mean, they're building a, a lineage here. And yeah. that was just something that, I just didn't think I would ever deserve. And and then it, it still has seeped in like, I, God, I don't know how we got going this way, but talking about marriage, no one has ever actually asked me to marry them, like in a traditional type of way. And I just, I think I just resolved myself to the fact that I'm not worthy of it. You're definitely worthy of it. I think that... It all goes back to shame. And, and not only that, what you were talking about, like, down in the South, that's where you get the cycle. You know, if you feel like you're not worthy of that, you're seeking out people that resemble what you came from, even though you might be resistant to that. I think that's why people continually find people that resemble their mom or dad or their grandparent or whatever. It's because, one, that's all they feel like they're worthy for. Yeah. But it's not true. Yeah, I think part of it is feeling like you're not worthy of something better, but also not. Okay, let me let me explain it like this. At this point, I'm not emotionally to a place that I th that I desire to be. I don't know that I ever will be. I think it's something we constantly have to work on. But if I were to go on a date. <laughs> With someone 
that resembled any of my, well, like my longer term relationships in the past. <laughs> Emotionally. Like if if I sat down with someone that did not have a strong sense of self, that did not have good habits as an adult, that did not have security financially, that did not have emotional intelligence, that was not introspective, that if I sit down at a date with anyone <laughs> that I used to be with, I would get up and walk out the door. Like run? <laughs> yeah, I would never. Like, because I'm different now. I know who I am more now and I know what I want and I know what I deserve and I know what's healthy and I know what's dysfunctional. And in the past, like you said, I was just seeking out things that were familiar that didn't require a lot of effort emotionally because that's what I, that was my weakness. And now there's no way I would just hit the road. Well, and I think it's because you were unconsciously taking things from your past, right? You weren't living in the past. You were just taking things from the past, like messages, and you were looking to the future. You were ignoring the present. And I feel like there's two types of people. There's actually three, but we're just going to do the two. There is the person that is living in the future, right? They're putting their head down. They're marching up the mountain. They're they're looking for a success, family, whatever it is, checking off boxes. And then there's people who live in the past and they dwell. But there has to be a balance because either way you look at it, you're missing out on the present. Now, I think if you went on a date, you would be in the present moment and being like, this isn't going to serve me. Like your soul. I don't mean like serve me, like buy me dinner. This isn't going to serve me in longevity. But back then, you probably were just like, this might be the road to checking off a box. Mm -hmm. It's my redemption. Yeah. This is my redemption. This might work. Mm -hmm. This might be me in five years sitting in a church pew while my husband's like holding my back. Well, and, and also, I think there was a shift for me in going from this person will never leave me where all I wanted was someone not to leave me. And now all I want is for someone to love me. I have no control over someone leaving me. I have no control over someone loving me. But I have control over being in a relationship where I'm not loved. I think I, in, a, in a lot of ways, I was seeking out something that was safe and not emotionally safe and not safe in the healthy ways, but safe in the unhealthy ways of they're not going anywhere. Also, what what it was... And they might pack their bags, but they're always going to come back. Yeah. Yeah. It wasn't fulfilling emotionally. Yeah. And I think whenever you are healthy emotionally and you have the courage to look inward instead of outward, you will start to seek out relationships that also fulfill whatever that is inside of us that need that emotional connection. And I'm not talking like a sexual emotional connection. I'm talking about just, I mean, I don't, I don't necessarily want to keep using you as an example, but it's just easy. And you're sitting right here. If we ended our relationship today, depending on what it was over, I'd probably be really pissed and like, wouldn't talk to you for a while. But at the <laughs> end of the day, I would still love you. And and I think that that is the case because I actually know you and I know your heart. And because we, we've talked about these things, we've talked about so much that it would be really hard for one thing that you did wrong to cause a relationship to end for me not to love you. Doesn't mean I'd be with you. Right. But I would still love you. And I think that a lot of times we miss that 
part of a relationship because we don't ever get down to the the heart of the matter and to each other. Well, and too, I think a lot of people aren't I'm I'm going to go back to this, the past, present and future, the three-prong approach basically. Like if you can't combine, like if you don't know what your dreams are and you don't know the things that you're still carrying from your past, the present is on autopilot. Mm-hmm. Like you need to know those two things for you to find joy. Yeah. Find, joy joy yeah. lives in the present. Yeah. Joy doesn't live in the future. Joy is in the present. And then I really hate seeing people like wake up one day and be like, what have I been doing? What is it? And I've felt like that in moments in my life. Like, what am I doing? What am I doing here? Mm-hmm. And it really takes a lot of soul searching and really understanding yourself. It might be in your career. It might be in your marriage. It might be the relationship you have with your kids, whatever it is, or maybe the relationship you have with family members. You need to do a little digging. Mm-hmm. And you also need to do a little bit of dreaming too. Like, what is your dream? Not weighing, okay, like not putting all your chips in on your future. Mm-hmm. Like, if I make it here, if I get this done, then I'll feel better. Yeah, I think that that's a big red flag that yeah. people should watch out for. <laughs> I've called you out on it a few times. Yeah. If you are giving yourself those when thens, when this happens, then I'll be blank. Yeah, my biggest one was when I'm done with college, I will feel better. why yeah it's it's a trick yeah it is a trick that we play on ourselves to get through a shitty moment yeah of time it's wrong we've been doing this lately though so maybe we need to put ourselves back in check i know we've been doing this about this house yeah Um, when we get this done then we'll feel better well some of it i do think is (laughs) is rational okay i mean if you're living in a house that is literally half the size you need it to be to have space. I think that that's okay to say. Yeah, yeah. When we have the space we need, we won't have so much clutter, you know. Yeah, like, like that's that's, fact, that's factual. Yeah, that's factual. But I think we all have more control over our lives than we like to think that we do because if we do have control over it, it means we have to do something to change it. And if you find yourself living in the future, which that was me. And in the book, that's kind of the whole premise of the book is I had told myself that when I become an author, I will have met all of my goals, like all of my bucket list, all of my dreams, all the boxes will be checked. And then I'm going to just feel like, okay, now I can just relax and enjoy and be happy. And that moment happened. And guess what? It was like very, I felt very empty. Yeah. And then I looked around at my life and I was just like, I don't even like this. And so Writing that book was, one, it was healing for me, but two, it was, I just don't want other people to experience that. And I think if we can do more to live in the moment and realize that the future is important and we have to do things to guide the direction that we're moving, and the past is important because that helps us better understand ourselves. But like you said, we really have to find that balance. Yeah, absolutely. I'm looking at fulfillment and success, and I'm really curious how this podcast and the last one can guide you to that fulfillment, the joy, the success that you that you want. Success doesn't equal fulfillment. Right. You have to know, like, what is it that is going to cause you to be fulfilled? You know, what is that? Is is It's different for everyone. But if you find that more of your things are external, and tangible, 
then that might be a, a red flag to, that you need to do a little bit of work around that. Fulfillment for me is really about, do I have my needs met? Does my family have what they need? And am I present in the moment? And I think some of the, there's a book called Atomic Habits that's great. If you haven't read it, I would check it out. It's really just about creating these small little habits that get yourself into some form of a routine that changes your lifestyle in a way that really can free up space. So, I mean, I guess fulfillment for me now is more internal. It's almost all internal. I need to be present in the moment. And and some of the atomic habits that you and I both have really tried to do is like when we have our children, we don't work. We are not on our phones. We really are giving them our attention away from technology. And now that doesn't mean we're just following them around like, (laughs) you know, what are you doing? Oh, you're picking up a toy. (laughs) And, you know, they do have their tablets, too, but I think it's more interactive. It's like they're all into Roblox or whatever it might be. Well, we're all sitting there like, okay, like, how do we get this person's on this person's and how do we all see each other on this thing? Yeah. Just to interact with them to show that we care. Mm -hmm. We care on all levels, not just you know, we take them to the park and all the things. But I think for me, intention. I am in the last two years, I think my biggest takeaway is like, am I being intentional and aware? Awareness and an intentionality. Yeah. I I think that's good. And in the last two years, for me, it's more about balance. Yeah. I'm very much one that can carry those thoughts like from work around with me when I'm at home, like I'll get overwhelmed because I know there's so much that has to be done. But do you see me doing it? No, no, I'm not going to unless now if I have to, you know, whatever, if I have to have to for some reason, but it's very, very, very rare. And I think that that's just part of something that keeps me grounded in the present and keeps me mindful of my kids and their needs and their emotions and whatever. And it also kind of puts me in check a little bit because I'm very much one that can live in that future. Yeah. I can live in all of the the dreams and the plans and let's get, you know, you give me something I'm excited about to work for, I'm going to do it. But I think it's, for me, it's about balance. And so I think everyone is different. Yeah. Create the balance Mm -hmm. that you need in your life to feel joy. Yeah. So if you listen to this podcast, I'm curious if you want to post on our social media or leave a review. I just would like to hear what your thoughts are about what success means for you and what fulfillment means for you. And are those the same thing or are those different? Yeah, sounds great. Later, besties. Thanks for listening. If you're enjoying our podcast and would like to hear more from us, leave us a review wherever you get your podcast so we can keep making great content like this.